What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Being a kid can be really tough. There are so many things to experience, and there are some of them that can be really scary. Fred Rogers, an amazing man who really understood children, made it a point in a lot of his work to help address kids' fears. His song, You Can Never Go Down the Drain, shows just how sensitive he was at addressing things kids might be concerned about. Along with great songs, I also love wonderful children's books that show kids addressing their fears. Now it's clear that these books are not intended to be a cure for fears or a substitute for professional help when fears become crippling. But books that show real kids facing their own fears can and do serve as engaging ways to help kids see and possibly emulate courage. When I was a girl, one of the books that gave me courage was Mercer Mayer's There's a Nightmare in My Closet. This book addresses the common childhood fear of the dark and what can lurk behind a door. But addressed with Mayer's signature humor and with a happy twist at the end, it shows that sometimes things are not scary if we look at them a little differently. Another more modern take on the fear of the dark is a book by Lemony Snicket of the series of Unfortunate Events fame and illustrated by Caldecott-winning artist John Clausen called The Dark. In this delightful book, the dark takes on a personality of its own, and it addresses the child and ultimately helps him face his fear. While the fear of the dark is a common fear, there are other things children can fear, including the fear of doing something new. One book that addresses this fear that I read recently is called Jabari Jumps by Gaia Cornwall. Jabari is ready to jump off the diving board. It looks easy when the other kids do it, but when he gets up there, it's not as easy. With encouragement from his dad, Jabari finds that he is able to jump and discovers the fun of something that was scary before. This book really captures the child's point of view and addresses a typical childhood fear in a delightful way. So no matter if it's a fear of the dark or of new experiences, here at Rachel's World, we think that for a little fear, a good book can be just the thing to make the world just a little bit less scary. Video games are sometimes a solitary activity, at other times a social activity with others. The expert we're about to hear talks about how the latter kind of gaming, where young minds participate in groups, can become a healthy learning experience as well. Dr. Mimi Ito co-founded and directs a program called Connected Camp. The program partners 8- to 13-year-old kids with high school students who teach them technical skills while playing Minecraft. Dr. Ito is a cultural anthropologist of technology use, specializing in children and youth's changing relationships to media and communications. She's professor-in-residence in digital media and learning at the University of California. Here's Rachel and Dr. Mimi Ito. We're on the phone today with Mimi. Welcome, Mimi. Hi. Great to be here with you. You are the co-founder and an executive director of Connected Camps, which I find to be a really intriguing program. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this program is and its mission? Sure. Um, So Connected Camps is 
uh, organization that I founded with two other women co-founders a few years ago, Katie Salen, who's a game designer and educator, and Tara Brown, who's one of the movers and shakers in the uh, maker movement. And the mission of Connected Camps is really to make uh, engaged, student-centered learning available for kids in all walks of life through the new tools we have at our disposal uh, with digital games and uh, the internet. So we do this through an online platform and programs that connect uh, kids age 8 to 13 to enthusiastic and passionate young tech experts who make things with them and teach them new skills, new digital skills. And, you know, our focus has really been connecting kids with mentors through the platform of Minecraft. For those of you who don't know what Minecraft is, it's kind of like Legos in a virtual world, but it's a very powerful multiplayer online world and gaming environment where people can come together to code, design, engineer, collaborate with each other, and also play games with each other. You know, we take this online platform that's really designed to enable creation in a collaborative social space, and we add the secret sauce of high school and college counselors who have grown up with Minecraft and are super fluent in digital life, and we train the young counselors to work with younger kids. And that's where it's different from kids just connecting to any Minecraft server out there in that it's really an environment that's designed by educators where there are older kids and grown-ups like you see in many Minecraft servers, but unlike most Minecraft servers, the slightly older kids are actually there to help the younger kids and to guide them through uh, interesting challenges in engineering and coding uh, that have uh, educational outcomes. That is so fascinating, particularly the addition of the mentorship, which is one of the things that I was intrigued about when I was reading about this program. What kinds of benefits have you seen, particularly when it comes to the mentorship and the interactions of the mentors with the kids? What kinds of actions and benefits have come out of this that maybe surprised you a little? Yeah, well, the design of our program really grew out of research that I've been doing for many years on what makes for a really uh, learner-centered and kind of productive and friendly kind of online community, whether it's one focused on something like fandom or gaming. And we found, you know, many of the properties that we have in our camps, which is, you know, peer learning, collaboration, uh, meaningful feedback, are things that, you know, often occur in a lot of other communities. I think where our model and the mentorship model really makes a difference is that it's more welcoming to kids who might not be, you know, quite comfortable just jumping into a Minecraft server or a fan community and advocating for themselves, like having that little extra help, knowing that there's somebody there to help you really makes a huge difference. Um, But it's also very different from a traditional educational environment where you have a grown-up teaching younger kids because these are kids who are just a few years older than our students and campers, and there's really nothing more exciting for, you know, an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old to be engaged in a shared activity with a big brother or big sister who's just a few years older, not only is it the excitement of having, you know, a teenager uh, working with a younger, a slightly younger kid, but also the fact that they're really passionate about the same things that, you know, our high school and college counselors, they're on the internet every day looking up every bit of Minecraft geekery that's out there. And that's something that, you know, as 
you know, the founder of the uh, of the camps and, you know, our older staff are just not immersed in it with the level of passion and enthusiasm that the younger counselors can have. Building off that passion, particularly in the context of the gaming environment, I think is very quite brilliant in my estimation. Because for me as an educator, that is the type of environment that I think real learning can actually happen in. And one of the things you talk about is that these experiences really help the kids learn and foster creativity and help them with problem solving and other kinds of things like collaboration. So how do you think that this environment really does help extend that learning when you start with the passion and the engagement of the mentorship, and then you can move on to these other important skills like creativity and problem solving? Yeah, so I think one of the things that, you know, contemporary learning science has really shown is that in order to really persist and go deep in an area of specialty, especially when you're talking about something like coding or, you know, digital uh, creation, which requires uh, kind of you know, more than just a week of camp, but, you know, sustained interest over time. And that sense of self-determination, of belonging to a community or a culture of relevance of those kind of skills is really, really important for kids to persist. So simply learning skills in a classroom, you know, it tends not to lead to long-term persistence unless young people have the ability to apply those skills to activities to projects within a community that is actually meaningful for them. So, you know, one of the things that we look at in our camps is a Minecraft server that's open year-round so that that ongoing learning, those social relationships, that sense of belonging uh, can continue and persist. That ability to maintain that, I think, is key. And I appreciate you noting that because I think sometimes parents would look at this kind of context and think, oh, well, they're already in Minecraft all the time anyway. Why would I want to send them to a camp to just play (laughs) Minecraft for for another couple of weeks? They need to get out and be active. And so I'm going to send them to one of these face-to-face camps. So I, I love that you would have articulated that that's one of the benefits. But what are some of the other benefits that you might have seen as you've developed this program? Minecraft is a really unique environment in that, you know, there's so much opportunity and flexibility in terms of young people, you know, pivoting from one interest and specialization to another. So they might come into the environment being interested in more creative mode and building pixel art and things that are more um, on the arts and design side. But you can pivot that interest into something like, you know, engineering or game design or coding. I think the other thing from a learning perspective that's really important is that it's not just the little kids who are learning, it's also the teenage counselors. And in fact, you know, some of the biggest learning transformations that we've seen in our programs come from the high school and college counselor layer of our model, because for many kids, this is the first time that they're really being recognized as being experts that have something to contribute that grows on their gaming interests. So when we first were planning the model, one of the first things we did was focus group this with, you know, high school Minecraft geeks and say, you know, look, is this something that you would want to do? And, you know, this idea that they might be able to give back in something that they actually know a lot about was really different 
from any kind of community service that they had done before. It's a really transformative moment. I mean, that is what we call a connected learning moment for kids when they realize something that they genuinely love and care about is a way to give back to a community or to get ahead in life. And, you know, for our college counselors, for most of them, it's actually their first paid job. And to be able to do it in something that is, you know, with a community of practice of other counselors who share that interest, who have different kinds of expertise, uh, we're finding that it is a really amazing professional development community for the young people. Mimi, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing program with us and helping us to realize that geekery really can be used for a lot of different amazing things in children's lives. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Mimi Ito, co-founder of Connected Camps, a program that provides online creative learning in Minecraft for kids. Next, Rachel welcomes Dr. Richard E. West, professor of instructional psychology and technology at BYU, who is joined by his daughters Carly and Danica. They talk about what reading looks like in their family and the kinds of things they do as a family to encourage it. Dr. West researches how to teach group creativity and design thinking and is co-chair of the BYU Creativity, Innovation, and Design Group. In his personal life, he's an avid reader across multiple genres with a compelling desire to use literature to help his children become awesome future adults. Here's Rachel with Dr. Richard West and his daughters Carly and Danica. We have three very special guests in studio today. We have a wonderful family here, daddy and some daughters, to, to share with us about their family reading habits. So let's introduce everybody. So I'm Rick. Um, I'm Carly. And I'm Danica. We're so glad to have all three of you here today. So let's start out. What are some of the things that you do as a family to encourage reading? So we've always tried to promote reading with our kids ever since they were little, and so there's lots of things that we try to sneak reading into them so that they'll learn to love it. And I don't know how many of these they remember. What will you guys tell you guys tell me? What do you think? What are some of the things that we've been able to do as a family that have made you want to uh, read more? When I was really little, you'd read a lot of books to us, and you wouldn't complain when I'd bring you like ten books at a time. <laughs> I remember one time I was trying to work on my thesis. I had my laptop on my lap, and I was have to get done so I can graduate. And this little toddler walked up to me and tried to push my laptop off my lap and she had a book in her hand. And I was like, no, Danica, I need to do my thesis. And she kept pushing my laptop off. And in my head, I heard the sound, isn't it about time? <laughs> Family. And I went, okay, fine, I'll read you a story. And so, yes, I, you've always come up to us with books. The little ones do it too. We have younger children and they still do that. Except for now, instead of one book, they usually bring four or five in a stack and come sit down yes. next to you. So I don't know if you remember, Danica, but there was a time where you were wanting me to read a lot of picture books to you, and I, I, I couldn't always read to you, so I made you a CD. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I think we actually still have that. Yep. With this CD, my dad took a few of my favorite picture books. I think No David was one of them. It's a very cute story, and he'd... Um, read them aloud and record them onto the CD. And then whenever I wanted to listen to the story, I'd go and get out the book and put on the CD into the CD player and just turn it on and listen. 
Um, this wasn't when I was a little kid, but as I've gotten older, you've helped with book clubs, and I've enjoyed going to your book clubs and sneaking into your adult book clubs where you talk about the book. And um, I always thought it was fun to read a book in a group and then have us talk everything over, which is something I enjoyed in school. Although it was a bit frustrating to me in sixth grade when my teacher, uh, the rest of the people in my group didn't want to mo- read the book as fast as I did. And they were they were saying, let's read one or two or three chapters. And I'm like, let's read half the book today and half the book next week. And they just didn't want to. And so I was like constraining myself from finishing the book all at once. Which book was that? Oh, we were... Um, we read multiple books. It happened with every book. But um, I can't remember. I remember you read book. The Scarlet Pimpernel that oh, year. Oh, yeah. Which was we read one the of Scarlet my favorites. Too. That was me. Was that you? So you've talked about wanting to be able to talk about books. I remember you as little kids were growing up and wanted to have friend parties, which were always very exhausting to us as parents. But we compromised. And I remember I, I, told, I can't remember who I started this with, maybe with Danica, but I've done it with both of you, where I would say, OK, well, you can have some friends over, but we'll do a book club party. So first, everyone reads the book and then we'll get together and we'll watch the movie. And, and I think we did. What were some of the book club parties we did? We did Charlotte's Web, I think. Ramona and Beezus. We did yes, Ramona and Beezus after we read Ramona. I can't remember any others right now. I think we did Narnia. Didn't we do Narnia once? Yeah, we, we did might Narnia. have done that. And but... more recently, you did Lord of the Rings with Danica. I did. Danica came up to me and said, I want to watch Lord of the Rings. Everyone says it's really cool. And I said, great. I'll watch it with you after you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't finish it? Oh, she's, I still haven't she's finished it. She's <laughs> confessing on air. <laughs> Danica, but, how could But I've you? seen the movie now. And I, may, I read like two-thirds of the book. I it just, is very long. It's 400 pages. Oh, it's more than that. <laughs> more than that. Something. And it's very complex. Yeah. It was. Particularly, I, I think you were a seventh grader at the time. Anyway, I can't remember. But pretty pretty complex. But that's one way we try to sneak hmm. some reading into you guys, huh? Do things like that. What are some other ways we've kind of encouraged reading in the family? Or maybe things that you've enjoyed. I know that I try to listen to audiobooks when we're traveling. That so, goes over really well. The, the, all the kids love audiobooks. I read books while we're traveling, and I'm trying to read my book. One time you were re- listening to Harry Potter, Prisoner of, of Azkaban, and I was reading Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Trying, I was keeping up mostly, and then I took a nap, and I heard the sounds, and then I tried to read it again, and it sounded off, and it ruined the whole book for me. <laughs> yeah. And I can't register any of the good parts of books when it's audio. I really don't like audio books, but he insists on l- listening to them every car trip. In fact, that was one of the only ways I was able to get to read Harry Potter was <laughs> we started where um, we'd listen to the book as an audiobook during a long family trip. We'd probably get about half of it through, and then once I'd get home, we weren't going to listen to the rest of the audiobook, and so he'd finally let me go and read the whole book. And that happened for, like, the first four books, and it was very annoying. <laughs> let me just tell you that. So what are some other things we've done? I know that sometimes we'll, I'll read books out loud to you for a chapter or two and then mysteriously leave the book on the table. That has happened to me. He would read a book that he has his daddy's list and um, he has all these books he wants us to read that we're, we tell him, no, I don't, no, I don't think you have 
good ideas for books. And then he'll read. He'll sneakily read the family or the little kids the <laughs> book, and then he'll leave it out. And I'll have been intrigued by the story, and I'll read the rest of the book, but deny it when he asks if I like the book. <laughs> <laughs> deny it. <laughs> I think he, you've done this with several books, like Charlotte's Web. Um. Petey, which was actually really good, and I was kind of sad when you didn't finish reading that to us. I had to go seek it out on my own. And you went and finished it, right? I did and go loved and finish it, right? it, and it was really good. That's pretty sneaky. That's pretty sneaky. So what what is a book on Daddy's List that you think would be the best the best Daddy's List book that has come across so far? Was The Giver on the Daddy's List? That one is by far one of my favorite books. And I think I might have even been curious about reading it before it was on the daddy's list. And then dad was like, hey, you should read it. And I was like, I already want to. So I'm not going to tell you that. And I'll just read it anyway. (laughs) And that book was really good. Probably one of my favorites from Um, the list. This is not really a real book. But you wanted us all to read Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up because we are not the best at cleaning our room. And <laughs> I, w- I read it, and it was actually really interesting, and I loved it. And I have worked on becoming better at keeping those principles in the book. It's and been it- really fun because now when we go through and, and do deep cleaning, Carly will say... She'll she'll touch something and say, does this give me joy? No, it doesn't. Okay, we can throw it away. So, yeah, she internalized some of the the parts of that book. That's good to hear that you've been changed by Daddy's List. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me a book on – tell me a book that we recommended to you as parents that you didn't think you'd like but then you ended up liking. Oh, probably – Maniac McGee. Oh, really? I, it didn't look, one, yes, I do not like running, and it didn't seem very interesting. It seems like a historical book, and um, um, I don't like history very much. And I was, I finally gave in and decided to read it, and that was, and I got halfway through, and I thought, wow, this is amazing, and I finished it, and I, it was a really cool story, and it was very fun to read, even though I did not think I would like it at first. So Dad was right. I do not believe that you are always right. Well, that's a, that's a good question. When has he not been right? When have you read Ooh. something that he's recommended and you're like, eh, uh, that's just not for me? <laughs> Danica liked Petey, but I did not. I, did, I didn't find it interesting. I, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't finish it. That's why. <laughs> But there have been books where they started off and I didn't like them. But then when I went back and gave it a try, I really did like it. So Such as? Can you think well, of it? There was one that was The Blue Sword. I It started off in By Robin like, McKinley. The way that it started, I didn't like it. It was very slow and like the I just couldn't connect with it very well. But then once it actually got started moving and like she got kidnapped and like all this stuff started happening and – like she discovers all these things about herself. That was when I I really liked it, and I do still like it. But that beginning was just a little bit tough for me. Yeah, I loved Blue Sword too. It was awesome. But that one was a mom recommendation. 
<laughs> so, so mom does recommend books too. Mom recommends books too. <laughs> That's always good to hear. Well, thank you all for sharing with us about how your family reads. I think this is really cool that your family has such a strong love of reading. So thanks for sharing with us. Rachel Wadham with Dr. Richard E. West, BYU Instructional Psychology and Technology Professor, with his daughters Carly and Danica, talking about the kinds of things they do as a family to keep them all happy and active readers. We finish up the show today with Cole Wissinger, part of the World's Awaiting Team. Cole recently decided to have some radio fun talking with random library goers about what they're reading these days. If I'm reading to really young children, I love Eric Carle books because they learn so much. They learn concepts as well as just a fun, uh, a fun story, and the pictures are wonderful. Informational books, picture books for children, which is a really big thing. I love those. Um, I love historical fiction books. They're not quite old enough for the ones I like. I love Anne Rinaldi. She's an amazing author. But I like picture books. I love poetry books. Douglas Florian's amazing, and he has awesome poetry for kids that's fun. What's one of your favorite children's books from when you were growing up? From when I was growing up, it was a story about the littlest witch. And it was just a little girl who thought the witch was her mother, and it didn't turn out to be so. So it was, it's, yeah, it's hard to find now, but it was the first chapter book that I read on my own when I was probably in second grade, so it was a big deal at the time. Oh, my goodness, I'm so old, it's hard to remember. I, I remember reading the Bobsey Twins, my friend Flicka, Thunderhead, Pants Brinker. Those were some that we read when, when I was young. One of my favorite books when I was a kid was The Giver by Lois Lowry. It's one of the first books that I remember specifically reading and really enjoying when we were on a road trip to California. My mom read it out loud to us, so that's one of my favorite books. Oh, I just love kids' books. No Dogs Allowed was hilarious. I don't even know who it's by, but that was one of my favorites. But every night, I just read tons of books, and we'd go to the library, and we'd get a big stack of books and read them all. And My favorites. Okay, Alexander and the No Good, Terrible, Horrible, Very Bad Day by Judith Burst. I read that over and over to my children. And, and I love Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. And Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. Because it just, it's tenacity and, and ingenuity in figuring out a solution to a difficult problem. And there's heroism in it. And the little engine that could, uh, which is really, really old. And all, these, all the books that teach, that entertain, and are beautifully illustrated, and that uh, teach great life lessons. Those sounded amazing. And you mentioned heroism. Um, I like to ask people what some of their book heroes were. What did you want to be like when you grew up? I love young adult fiction. I've always loved it. And so one of the books that comes to mind was Writing Freedom. That was the first book I just devoured. And it was all about this girl who grew up in a time when, you know, females weren't um, recognized as uh, working class I don't know, citizens, I don't know. Um, so she cut her hair and became a Pony Express rider. And so that was probably one of my heroes growing up was just this girl who could do it all and keep up with the boys. And <laughs> so. okay. No doubt about it, I wanted to be Nancy Drew because she had a really cool dad. And he bought her a red roadster, which was a really cool car to drive. And she got to go around solving mysteries with this really handsome, great boyfriend, Ned, and I, I 
bought all of the Nancy Drew books and I read them. And she was independent and really, really smart. So that's why I like Nancy Drew. Oh, Tiffany Aching. I want to be her when I grow up. It's from the um, series. Uh, Jerry Pratchett is the author, and it's the We Free Men books. And so she's, yeah, she's nine when we meet her, and about 16 at the end of the series, and I just really like her. I know. The character, the character in Bud Not Buddy from, by Christopher Paul Curtis. He is absolutely such a delightful fun. And also, Grandma Dowdle in the Richard Peck books, A Long Way from Chicago and A Year Down Yonder. Love her. Love her. Wonderful. Cole Wissinger of the World's Awaiting Team, talking with patrons of the Provo Library. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.